Welcome well, back. To- <laughs> <laughs> you, you can go. tell we're really excited to be back. <laughs> okay. Welcome back to Early Departures. Yeah. Welcome. We're we're still here. Uh, hope everybody out there is also still here, feeling healthy. I think we're all just getting a little bit of cabinet fever. Uh, yeah. I think I told you that I uh, the other night, I just like my brain slipped and allowed myself for a moment to like understand the the uh, heft of the situation and that we really are all stuck in our homes and unable to go outside and and for what reason and I just started cracking up like I just could not stop myself from laughing which made me laugh even more and it was insane it was like my brain just broke right down the middle and uh you know then I saw a thing somebody posted on Facebook that said uh it was from some therapy thing and it said that your brain does this thing where it it won't let you you know, it's like compartmentalizing sort of like it won't let you really consider the full <laughs> ramifications of like a bad situation that's happening sometimes. And I felt like <laughs> that's what happened was my brain just slipped and and for a second, let me peek behind the curtain of like, holy shit, holy shit. Like, we're freaking yeah. out. It took down the wall of protection for a second. Yeah. And you're like, oh, shit. This yeah. is real. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, yeah, I feel like I'm getting a little antsy. Um, I'm still working. Yeah. Pretty busy. Thank God. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just like the little things. Yeah. Yeah. Just all the normal little things going out to eat. Um, I didn't particularly go out to movies very often back in the pre-corona days. But I was just thinking earlier about when we, when me and you went to see uh, the Downton Abbey movie. And I was thinking, like, I would fucking kill to go to a movie right now. Like, <laughs> just have something normal. Go to a movie, eat some popcorn, have a drink out in public, you know? Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I keep thinking about how people are going to shift their kind of outside their home activities once this is all over. Yeah. Well, I know one thing is I am never shaking hands again. I never liked it to begin with. I, you know, I'm not like a hugging, shaking hands kind of person. And now I'm just going to say, oh, I don't shake hands, and people will understand. You do like the, the like invisible high five, the high, the no touch high five. Yeah, I'll do the air kisses, or like maybe like a yeah elbow bump. Yeah. So I've got a story update on the Zandam cruise ship that was stuck out at sea. Oh, great! So they were finally allowed to dock in Fort Lauderdale. Uh-huh. And even when they got to Fort Lauderdale, Fort Lauderdale was kind of like, man, I don't know if we want to let you guys come off the ship. Mm-hmm. Because at that time, they've had four people that had died on board. Um, all four of them were actually men. And once they did get the passengers off, three of those men had been tested positive for COVID. The fourth oh. man who died passed away from a viral infection, oh. but he tested negative for COVID. But He'd also been dead for 12 days by the time he was examined. Ugh. So I think they're not sure if it still could have been COVID-related. But another interesting thing, it's not interesting, I guess it's more sad, that a 50-year-old Indonesian employee of the ship was hospitalized as soon as they um, started disembarking passengers uh-huh. in Fort Lauderdale, and he actually just passed away from COVID. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. So he was a he was an employee on the ship? Mm-hmm. 
Oh, that's horrible. It's horrible because I feel like people who go work on cruise ships are people who are like, I'm going to go like have adventures and see the world. And, you know, they say a lot of them don't even last that long working on cruise ships just because, you know, they get there and it's not everything they thought it would be. And it turns out they actually have to work like, you know, very long hours every day, blah, blah, blah. But um, I can imagine <laughs> you like having a adventurous spirit going to work on a cruise ship and then... Like, I mean, I'm sure their workload was probably horrendous after they had to lock everybody down and then you get a horrible disease and die from it. Like, it's awful. There's also the Coral Princess cruise ship that is docked in Miami and Uh about a dozen international guests are still in quarantine on that boat waiting out the 14-day quarantine with some of the crew members as well and they're still trying to figure out how do they get them to their home countries once they are done with that quarantine so somewhere out there people are still sitting on cruise ships it's horrible and to think about it the cruise ship industry shut down the cruising on march 7th Mm -hmm. and it's now april 10th I was going to say April something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's been over a month since Cruise Line said no more. Yeah. And there's still people that are either docked or out to sea. And it's just it's I just saw a thing actually today about how um, cruise companies have not actually canceled all of their cruises for May and June yet. But they have stopped letting people purchase tickets for it, which is like, <laughs> I, I, I hope I would that hope nobody still was. Like... But uh, but they said that so that they could, if they were able to uh, continue on with these cruises in May and June, that they could at least distance people on the ship. And I was like, hey, that would be like the only time I would be uh, interested in being on a cruise ship if, if it was like not at all near capacity. <laughs> right. The cruise like, ship is only filled one fifth of capacity. Yeah. There's every pe- people are every fifth room are full. That would be amazing. That'd be like a private yacht. Uh, but yeah, so, but it's probably more likely that it's like, you know, maybe they cut off capacity at like a thousand when the capacity is 2000, uh, which is still far too many people. So hopefully all of those cruises just go ahead and get canceled eventually. Anyway, I see in travel groups online all the time, people who have cruise tickets for May and June and they're like, should I cancel? <laughs> like, I know I've been seeing the same thing and a lot of them seem really optimistic that it's gonna happen i'm like have you seen the news i don't think you have to cancel i think the company will cancel or they will probably face like massive lawsuits (laughs) you know i don't even think the cruise ships are allowed right now i'm not sure uh well march 7th they said a 30-day cease of operation yeah so i don't know what the current state of is i haven't like dug in Mm -hmm. i also feel bad for anyone who listens to this and enjoys cruising because both of us hate the idea of cruising so, mm-hmm. so, so it's not even like what it's not even like one of us can be optimistic about it we're like cruises we hate them before <laughs> we still hate them even more yeah to be fair like if cruising is your thing that's everybody has their thing so if you love it you know awesome for you like i hope that the industry bounces back so you can keep doing your your cruising but you know <laughs> Bring your own hand sanitizer and maybe an N95 mask next time you go. Yeah. I'm still always down to go on a uh, Viking River cruise or a Antarctica expeditions. <laughs> That's, yeah. And a Viking River cruise or any Antarctica expedition companies want to start sponsoring us? Yeah. <laughs> we're available. 
Yeah. Fingers crossed. <laughs> One can always hope, you know? It's a live podcast from the Viking River Cruise yeah. <laughs> somewhere in Europe. That would be amazing. You know, I just ordered a uh, vintage puzzle. Like, so that's, you know, apparently my new <laughs> cracked my brain wide open hobby during this outbreak is uh, an interest in vintage puzzles specifically. <laughs> Because I can just be, you know, normal uh, and get regular puzzles because you can't get them anymore. It's impossible. Explain a vintage puzzle that's used. Are you going to sanitize it? So it's used, but okay. So uh, coronavirus, it's supposed to be 24 hours on cardboard, right? So uh, puzzles are cardboard. (laughs) So I'm not too worried about that. But I mean, they will not be opened and assembled right away (laughs) just to be safe. But vintage puzzles, so like on eBay, if you go on there... And you can look them up. And some of them are, like, still sealed in their boxes. And they're old, like, Kodak brand or Milton Bradley uh, Springbok, I think is one. And they are these old scenes. Like, there's one that's uh, Lake Louise in Canada. And then I bought another one that's the Dolomites, which is exciting because that's where me and my husband went hiking in Italy last summer. What's the other one? Oh, yeah, that's what it got me started on was some, like, Norwegian fjords. And so you can imagine the pictures look like those old-timey, like, travel photos, you know? Mm -hmm. Very cool. Uh, On eBay, they're like eight bucks, you know? So if you can't get puzzles (laughs) from your normal suppliers like Target, Walmart, Amazon, just go and look on eBay for some old vintage travel-type puzzles. Yeah. And also, you're putting money into someone's pocket who may not be working right now. Yeah. Because right now, we're just fueling income into these major corporations yeah yeah that i did think about that too going through ebay that like especially when you're talking about vintage puzzles like it's probably somebody's very small side business of just like oh i pick up vintage puzzles from yard sales for a quarter and then sell them for eight dollars on ebay yeah i can't find any extracurricular activities online so um i ordered wood from Lowe's, and I plan to build a raised garden bed this weekend. Perfect. All right. Anyway, okay. We have been chatting along. Tangent after tangent here. Far too long. Yeah. So where are you taking us this week? What story you got for me? I am going to take you to the Philippines. We haven't been there yet. Ooh. Well, I mean, hey, it technically, like, we haven't... We haven't physically been there yet either. <laughs> and we haven't been there on this show yet. So, yeah, pretty interesting. I felt like I learned quite a few things about the Philippines from uh, researching this story as well. So I'm definitely ready to take a trip there when this is all over. Maybe you'll finally go on that sailing trip I want to go on in the Philippines. Yeah. Okay, so in April 2005, 38-year-old Julia Campbell put her career as a journalist in New York City on hold. Instead of working for the likes of abcnews.com and Court TV and contributing as a freelancer to the New York Times and People magazine, Julia would volunteer with the Peace Corps to teach English at the Divine Word College in Legaspi City, which is an area in the Philippines about 340 miles south of the capital, Manila. Peace Corps tours are typically two years in length. 17 months into her assignment on September 26, 2006, Typhoon Shang made landfall in the Philippines. Oh, no. Dev- <laughs> I hate typhoons. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're going to love this story then. So it made landfall in the Philippines and devastated the island of Luzon. 
So this typhoon was a once-in-a-decade weather catastrophe, and she mused on her blog, which was titled Julia in the Philippines, that she was glad she had bought a bottle of red wine before the storm came and recounted sheltering at a local resort where, quote, the walls shook and the rain poured inside my hut. So just <laughs> how we're feeling right now with our, mm-hmm. you know, stores of alcohol and ready to weather a storm feel like we can identify with her in this moment for sure. Sure can. But idealism in the face of discomfort and crazy natural disasters takes a big toll. And one month after the typhoon, she wrote in her blog, quote, It's hard to believe that I have only seven months to go. It's been a rough road and I'm hoping to finish, but I would be lying if I did not say that every day is a struggle. I miss home and my old life. I miss being there for things that happen in the lives of people I care about. But seven months is just seven months. Time will hopefully fly quickly. To get me through the last hurdle, I hope to spend a week in Hawaii for my 40th birthday. I feel like this is where something's going to go wrong. That's like, you know, foreshadowing. <laughs> like Totally. Yep. She's not going to make it to Hawaii, is she? One month later, on November 30th, 2006, Typhoon Durian blew through the center of Legaspi. So if you recall, that's where she was living. <laughs> this typhoon was said to have brought 40 years of rain in a single day. And in her small apartment in the city center of Legaspi, floodwaters rushed inside and rose all the way to her waist. Julia wondered, quote, is this the way it's going to be? I'll drown here, right inside my tiny apartment, far away from my friends and family. What a terrible predicament to be in. Yeah, you're in a tiny apartment by yourself, and the water is coming up to your waist. <laughs> like, And you're like, this is how I'm going to die. Yeah, totally alone. Oh, I, And I also feel like it's one thing to die alone somewhere. It's a whole different thing to die alone in a country that's not your own, in an apartment that's probably not very ideal. In a slow death because it's probably going to be by a drowning. Yeah, because it's coming up to your waist and like, what are you going to do? Open the door and like swim to where? Like to what? I don't know. Anyway, Julia was relieved when the floodwaters receded and she quickly got to work fundraising and lending a hand where she could to help those who had been less fortunate than her in the storm. So two typhoons in 60 days, and this poor woman was basically hanging on by a thread even before that. Uh, Yeah. So just trying to, yeah, just trying to stay positive to get to the end of her tour. I'd be staying positive on my way to the airport. Yeah. You'd be like, I will send money from home. Goodbye. Uh, Yeah, I'll fundraise from home. I'm going home. Two typhoons. I'm out. Yeah. I cannot imagine. I can't imagine like if Florida got hit by two major hurricanes in two months. Nobody would live in Florida if that happened. Mm -mm. Five months later, on April 8th, 2007, just a few short weeks away from finishing her assignment in the Philippines, Julia embarked on a solo hike in the village of Batad in Banao Township to see the area's famous 2,000-year-old mountainside rice terraces. So You're going to tell me another typhoon came while she's out hiking. She's just a few weeks away from going home. The area is a pretty well-known tourist spot and not exactly what you'd call off the beaten path, though you do have to make some effort to get there. TripAdvisor shows almost 700 five-star reviews for this place, and Afar magazine featured the spot as part of their travel guide for the Philippines. I pulled the following description from that guide, quote, Probably the most impressive of all the terraces are at Batad, a tiny remote village in the municipality of Banao that is only accessible by foot. 
Thanks to their pristine condition, these terraces are also included in the UNESCO inscription. The reward for your hike up is a panorama of a kind of enormous amphitheater where each level is actually a rice paddy and where the village of Batad takes the place of the central stage as its base. So that sounds really awesome. I would... It's like, sounds beautiful. Yeah. Spots like that are just beautiful. And especially if you have to like hike to it and you can't just get there by a bus or whatever, because then I feel like there's fewer people. It's more intimate and enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Much more rewarding too when you've like hiked for the view. Yeah. So Julia arrived in the small village and stopped at a local store, the type that is actually part of somebody's house. And she bought a Coke from the shop owner whose name was Grace. That was the last time anyone saw Julia. Oh, no. Was she kidnapped or a hostage of the communist guerrillas? Was she lost in the wilderness or did she fall and accidentally slide down the rice terraces? These were the immediate competing theories after she had initially been reported missing. How long had it been since she bought that Coke to when she was reported missing? She was reported missing on the same day, at least. Okay. Okay. So she was probably like expected to return home or something. I believe it was the same day. According to local police, the area had long been free from any influence of the communist guerrilla group, the New People's Army, so that angle was quickly eliminated. A week after Campbell's disappearance, no communications or ransom demands from any kidnappers had come, so that explanation was also brushed aside. The U.S. Embassy offered a large reward to anyone who found Julia alive. During this time, local authorities searched tirelessly for her through the banal rice terraces. Ten days passed with no clues or tips at all. Finally, on April 18th, military bomb-sniffing dogs found her halfway buried in a shallow grave with only her feet protruding from the earth. Oh, no. Julia had been bludgeoned to death. Oh, no. Yeah, it's awful. The medical examiner reported that Julia suffered multiple blunt traumatic injuries to her head and that she sustained many injuries on both her face and the top of her head. Julia also had injuries on her arms, indicating she had tried to block the blows. The autopsy also indicated that whoever was responsible for the murder, quote, made sure she was dead. Altogether, Julia had 15 injuries on her body. So whenever they like go out of their way to say that they had injuries on their hands or their arms where they were trying to block it like that just breaks my heart because uh like it'd be so much better if somebody just like got hit in the back of the head and never saw it coming but to actively be trying to save yourself. Oh, it's so to scary. Fight off your attacker, yeah. Oh, it's so scary, too, because I'm like, oh, this poor woman was just, like, hiking alone, like, leisurely day hike. And I'm like, gosh, I'm so much more vulnerable out there than I think I am. Yeah. All it takes is someone popping out the woods and be like, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, like, when I'm going hiking, I am always like, where can I go hiking where there's not bears or, you know, mountain lions? Or things like that. I'm always so worried about the animals killing me. (laughs) You need to not be worried about the animals and be more worried about the humans. Yeah. Okay, anyway, back to poor Julia. Police recovered a blood-stained hardwood pole used to pound rice near the residence of a suspect. And several days after Julia was found dead, police named 25-year-old Juan Donald Dontogan as a suspect or possibly as a witness. 
Juan was the husband of shopkeeper Grace, who, if you recall, was the last person to see Julia. What? Yeah. Grace is in on (laughs) this. Well, I'll just keep reading. (laughs) When questioned, Grace told investigators that Juan was not in Batad when Julia disappeared. Though they had no evidence to charge Juan with a crime and thus had no warrant to arrest him, police were so sure of his guilt that they conducted a manhunt to try to find him while also racing to try to find any forensic evidence that would tie him to it. The stick next to their house wasn't good enough evidence? Well, they still had to test it. They hadn't even gotten the results yet, and they were like, oh, okay, get okay. this guy. Like, he fucking did it. <laughs> what if Grace did it? Well, yeah, I mean, They also were in contact with Juan's mother and told her if he didn't have anything to do with it, he should turn himself in so that they could clear him. She was apparently in contact with Juan at the same time and seemed to believe that he was preparing to give himself up. In a huge letdown to everyone involved, it was found that a pair of jeans and the wood pole that they believed Juan had bludgeoned Julia with, which had been collected at his home and tested for forensic evidence, Failed to prove Juan had anything to do with the murder. Yep, see, it was Grace. (laughs) But in an almost unbelievable turn of events, Juan's mother turned him in. Oh, I thought you were about to say Juan's mother did it. I was like, whoa, didn't see that coming. (laughs) Oh my God, that would have been kind of amazing. That would have been nuts. Uh, Juan admitted to unintentionally killing Julia So it was not Grace, or at least according to Juan, it wasn't. He told police that he had had a heated argument with a neighbor and lost control of himself. Soon after, someone tapped him from behind. According to Juan, he turned around and hit Julia with a stone, believing it was the neighbor. Okay. While in police custody, he agreed to lead investigators to the site where he'd killed Julia and to reenact the incident there. Okay. Yeah. But she also bought a soda from your wife earlier that day. I don't buy but it. But also, I'm like, oh, you... Grace is in on I'm this. like, oh, you turn around and hit her with a rock 15 times? <laughs> like, stop it. No, you did not. No. It's... I I mean, it's insane. Like, I totally... I'm not buying mm, it. I would understand, like, oh, you're in a fit of rage. And, like, even maybe, like, oh, if he was drunk or on drugs or something. Or you were spooked because you didn't expect someone to come up behind you. Yeah. Sure. Well, and then you, you hit someone once. One and then hit. go, oh, shit, you're a, you're a white lady. <laughs> you're not a, you're not my Filipino neighbor from this tiny village where I know everyone. You would immediately turn around and go, oh, shit. I think it's really weird that the last person to see her was Grace, mm. Like, well, I mean, unless, you know, like, what if maybe Juan saw her buying the Coke from Grace and, like, maybe wouldn't even have noticed Grace being in the area had she not been... Because, you know, the uh, the store was, like, at their house. It's, like, just a little window, if you've ever seen those. Yeah, totally. No, yeah. I can picture it, but it's also weird. She buys a soda at your house. Mm-hmm. No one sees her again, and then she ends up dead. It feels like that probably happened pretty closely back then. <laughs> Soda death. You think she just bought the what soda? What if she offended Grace somehow when she was in the store? Yeah. And Grace gave her husband the eyes. I was like, <sighs> I mean, you know, it's always possible. Uh, anytime when it's the suspect who's telling the story of what happened and they just, that's all they have to go on, you know? Mm-hmm. It's always like, who really knows? Unless they have like video footage or whatever, like we can't ever really be sure. Grace could have done it and then he could have been like, holy shit, woman, like 
I will take the fall for you, you know, like who knows. But I, I, that's not the feeling I got reading this. I think that she was just went, bought her soda and said, okay, see you later. And then Juan probably saw her leaving his house and was like, mm, I'm going to follow her. And um, so who brings a stick back to their house? Well, it's for the, you know, for pounding rice. So that's like their tool yeah. to go to work with. Yeah. You kill someone with it, and then you're like, well, I'll bring this back home. Oh, yeah. Well, so that was, you know. That, no, that's what I meant. Like, you bludgeon someone with it. You're like, I still need that for rice for dinner tonight. <laughs> I Well, I mean, you know, if it was your only. He probably did. He probably did. It was your only but, one, yeah. But they also did say that while there was, like, a red stain on it, that they didn't get any blood or DNA or anything off of it. Okay. So it's also possible that it was just, like, a stain or some paint or whatever, you know, who knows. Yeah. And he said that he hit her with a rock. So who knows? But Juan confessed, quote, my mind went blank. I did not know who she was or what she was. I got a rock and I hit her on the head. If I can change my body for hers, I will do it. But that's not possible. Whatever punishment you will impose on me, I will accept it. I admit it. Yes, I killed her. But I did not do what other people are thinking I did. So apparently people thought that he had raped or robbed her. Uh, so he admitted to the killing, but not to either of those acts. And it was like, uh, they didn't, there was no like statistic, but they said like generally when a woman goes missing and is found dead in the Philippines, it's very common that it would be rape that subsequently ended in a murder or robbery that ended in a murder. So. Not so often that somebody would just be murdered, basically. Right, yeah. Wow, this poor woman survived two typhoons. Yeah. Two. It's a real roller coaster. Uh, Juan was subsequently charged with robbery and homicide charges, but investigators were concerned because the entire case against him more or less relied on his own confession. They worried if he recanted that they wouldn't have any other evidence. At the trial, the prosecution lined up 18 witnesses, including 14-year-old Melvin Chorhangan, who testified that he was playing cards with his friends when he saw Juan fleeing the area where Julia's body was later found. The grave was only a few hundred meters below Juan's house, where Julia was last seen alive, sipping the soft drink she'd purchased from Grace. Grace later admitted that her earlier statement that Juan was not in the area at the time of the murder was not true and that he had not left Batad until April 9th, the day after the incident. So, you know, doesn't sound like she was uh, the perpetrator or involved, but she did cover it up. She she knew, like, yep, he did it. Gotta lie for him. Well, and she was killed right after buying the soda. My point earlier. Yeah. Like, she was seen sipping her soda. So it wasn't like she bought the soda, went for a hike, came back into town, and he encountered her yeah. on her return from the hike. Yeah. It, it really sounds to me like she bought her soda, had a coat, you know, like, had a bit of it, started walking on the trek, and then was, like, a, a few hundred meters and was murdered. So it sounds like he probably just followed her. What a, what a jerk. Yeah. Uh, Juan was found guilty of murder. And that was treachery and use of superior strength being two of the aggravating circumstances and was sentenced to 40 years imprisonment without the possibility of parole. Really interestingly, the judge ordered Juan to pay Campbell's family the equivalent of $889,000 in damages and for her funeral expenses. 800000 Yeah. Which is impossible, you know, because they're like yeah. poor villagers. They can't. But, 
you know, it's the principle <laughs> of the matter that, that that was the charge. And, um, and in the Philippines, when you, uh, are convicted of murdering somebody, there are all kinds of monetary charges that can be put against you. Um, even down to, and you have to pay this much money for their funeral and this much money for their perceived loss of future income, et cetera. So very interesting. I was not aware of that kind of thing earlier. One really messed up thing was that Juan was a father to two children with his wife, Grace, and she actually gave birth to his third child during their trial. I can't even imagine how stressed out his pregnant wife must have been during that trial or what her life must be like now, raising three kids on her own after he was sent to jail. I don't know. I I, mean, I don't have kids. <laughs> I can't imagine what it's like to even have them under good normal circumstances. I cannot imagine being like ready to pop pregnant and my husband is on trial for murder. Like I'd be I would be so mad at him. I don't know. That's like just the end of any any kind of happy future life you thought you're going to have. Yeah. So his murder kind of like ruined Julia's family's life and his own family's life. Yeah. All for what? Being mad at the neighbor? Yeah, who knows? Uh, supposedly being mad at the neighbor. Yeah. And a resident of the town of Batad, where many people depend on tourism dollars for their income, expressed anger and frustration to the local media, saying that, quote, the assailant not only killed one person, but also damaged the economic life of countless families. Right, because now no one wants to travel there. I'm sure. Yeah. So he ruined Julia's family. He ruined his own family. He ruined his village's tourism money. Like, what a... For what? Like, Total domino what? effect. Yeah, horrible. But some nicer news. In June 2007, the Philippine House of Representatives awarded Julia with its Congressional Medal of Achievement, describing her as a martyred volunteer who brought light and joy into the lives of many Filipinos. A 100-acre eco-park in the Philippines called the Julia Campbell Agroforest Memorial Park was also established as a memorial to the fallen volunteer. That's really cool. Yeah, like, I think that's amazing. That's really neat. Uh, and it is really cool because when you look up stuff to do in the Philippines, that memorial park comes up. So it's actually like a pretty uh, well-known place and it's got her name on it, which is pretty cool. Um, but, you know, overall horrible, but at least she was honored, <laughs> you know. And that's all I got on Julia in the Philippines. But also, by the way, uh, Julia in the Philippines was the name of her blog. And, you know, I encourage anybody to go read it, especially if you are thinking about joining the Peace Corps, because it will give you an idea of what it's really actually like and um, the hardships that you very well might face. And that's all. So take me somewhere. Okay. Well, I feel like my story um, aligns with yours very well. Cool. So it's perfect. I mean, not cool because that, you know, mine was really bad. So I know. Yeah. But it's like cool in that weird telepathic. <laughs> our stories are on the same. Like when we both order from uh, First Leaf without telling each other. <laughs> yeah. Our bunker wine. Bunker wine. Yeah. Uh, please cut that out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not in a million years. Editorial control. Oh, you um, cut it out. You know, First Leaf should sponsor us, and then they can use your beautiful song as their uh, jingle, I think. Uh, I have been doing a lot more singing around the house, and as you can tell by my very monotone voice that I have on the podcast, uh, my singing is the same, and I've been singing a lot of Little Mermaid, mm -hmm. um, part of their world, you know, because I'd like to be part of the world again. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. And I really just want to be 
out where the people are. <laughs> so, in November 2018, a group of friends traveled to Playa del Carmen, Mexico to celebrate a 30th birthday. The friends rented an Airbnb in a gated community and planned for a week-long celebration. Hmm. Among the group was Taylor Meyer. He was 27. He was originally from Colorado, but had been living in California prior to the trip. It was a Thursday night, and the group of about 14 went out to celebrate and hit the bars. At some point during the night, Taylor becomes separated from his friends. Uh-oh. There isn't much detail about how or when they noticed he wasn't with the group anymore, uh-huh. but I assume they thought he went back to the Airbnb or wandered off to another bar. Mm-hmm. I mean, 14 people is a lot of people to keep track of in a big group. Yeah. And I've definitely been out to bars celebrating with big groups and... Some will go to another bar. Some will stick to the one they're at. So, like, mm-hmm. I could understand how you could lose track of someone, especially when you were kind of out partying. Oh, yeah. And, like, you know, how many people are like, what do you call it? Irish goodbye. Just go. <laughs> so. I'm, like, the queen of the Irish goodbye. Yeah. So, like, totally. If you're out drinking and you're just like, I am over this. <laughs> I'm going. I'll see them in the morning. Totally. So, when Friday morning came around, Taylor's parents back in Colorado woke up to a phone call from the U.S. consulate in Mexico letting them know their son had been killed. Oh, Jesus. That was abrupt. Quick. Mm. Wow. I'm not sure how... I'm not sure how his group of friends found out. They don't really ever talk about that at all. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if his friends found out first or his parents found out, but I'm pretty sure they all had a very terrible morning when they woke up Friday and noticed that he never made it back to the Airbnb. Yeah. Yeah. But like I said, there's literally no information about how his friends found out or kind of what happened for them. Yeah. Every article I read kind of just like jumped right into his parents receiving that phone call. Mm. They thought it was kind of a cruel joke at first. Mm -hmm. Um as I'm sure everyone would be in shock finding out that they're... Gosh, you know, and and I'm sure if you, even if you were like the friends back at the Airbnb and you woke up the next day and saw that he wasn't back yet, I'm sure your first thought would not be, oh, he's been murdered. You'd probably think, oh, he went home with some girl. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought the same thing too. You wouldn't really worry until like really even possibly like the next day, like... Maybe he went home with a girl and then he spent all day hanging out with her on the beach and just like didn't care because he was on vacation and still drunk. <laughs> you know, like, God, that's horrible. Mm. Mm-hmm. The details of his death are a bit sketchy, but his body was found in the opposite direction of the Airbnb about a 30-minute walk near the beach. Oh, and that location was about a 10-minute cab ride from the bar where his friends are at. Hmm. No one really understands how he got so far away. When the American consulate talked to his parents, they told his father that three people attacked Taylor and killed him when he fought back. He was robbed of his shoes, his wallet, his iPhone, and his watch. Oh, God. But when his father talked to a local investigator, he was told four people attacked him. Mm. This is when his dad began to worry that the Mexican government was trying to cover up the murder. Mm -hmm. At the same time, the embassy in Mexico issued a statement confirming Taylor's death and expressing condolences to his family. According to police reports, the events took place in a specific area where tourists do not typically visit. Hmm. Mexican authorities are conducting a full investigation and have been in contact with U.S. authorities. So far, one person had been arrested, this statement said. Hmm. One person, only identified as Hilario N., was arrested on suspicion of the murder on November 12th. That was according to a Riviera Maya News, a local English news site near Cancun. Mm -hmm. His father later said in an interview, I don't know what to believe, but I do know one thing. They've only arrested one person. We just want to shed some light on this. We want to know what happened and we just want justice done. 
We don't want some scapegoat petty thief taking the blame for something he did not do. Mm. And the only way we'll have confidence in this is if we get the FBI involved. Wow. At this point, the case kind of goes cold. Uh Um, A lot of this reporting was done early November, right after he was found dead. And that was kind of it. There was the one arrest. They don't ever say if he was prosecuted for it. His dad had tried to be in contact with authorities and trying to get the U.S. government involved more because he just wanted answers. And mm-hmm. again, the case kind of went cold. And when when did this happen again? Refresh my mind. November 2018. Oh, okay, so very recently. Mm. Mm-hmm. Gosh. So if we fast forward to May 2019, Taylor's dad was closing out his son's bank account and noticed two transactions from December of 2018. So that's about a month after his death. Uh Uh-oh. There were two transactions at a bank in Oklahoma City, Hmm. which is so bizarre. Yeah. Also because his wallet and ID and everything had been stolen. Yeah. So his father reached out to the Colorado police, who then contacted the Oklahoma City police. The Oklahoma City Police Department were able to pull surveillance and CCTV footage from the ATM and shared those images with his parents and also on their social media channels. Hmm. In the photos, there was a man seen driving a silver SUV and he was accompanied by a woman. Hmm. Oklahoma police said they're urging anyone who knows the identity of the man to contact Crime Stoppers. Wow. It's really unclear how Taylor's card could have made it to the United States. His father said his son's body was found with no wallet or identification. He did, however, have a credit card receipt in his pocket at the time. Hmm. Taylor had signed up for the State Department's Smart Traveler Enrollment Program before leaving, and the receipt was linked to his passport photo, which is how they used to identify his body. Oh, wow. So his dad also has this hunch at this point that maybe he was withdrawing money from the ATM, Uh and that's when he was either followed and attacked, because also how would someone have his PIN number using it at a bank? Yeah, and maybe, you know, they said he was like a... 10-minute taxi ride away in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. Maybe he jumped in a taxi to get back to his Airbnb, and then they just drove him. You know, he could have said, oh, I don't have any cash. Can you stop by ATM? And then they drove him to a faraway ATM and then mm-hmm. killed him. Yep. Oh, Jesus. Officer Megan Morgan of the Oklahoma City Police Department said the police there have been in touch with authorities in Playa del Carmen. However, they only have jurisdiction over the credit card case, so police in Playa del Carmen are investigating the killing, which remains under investigation still, and that was in May of 2019. Wow. Taylor's parents said they hoped that their son's death would draw attention to the dangers that U.S. visitors face in Mexico and have accused the government officials there of minimizing the risk in order to protect the tourism industry. Yeah. One of the things they talk about is that uh, Mexico is rated a level two, Uh which is the same as Italy and Germany. And his parents, in one of the interviews I saw on like a, a local CBS channel, said, we're really concerned about our son going there and we expressed our concerns. And Taylor kind of said to them, well, you guys just went to Europe. It's the same. It's a, it's a level two. We're, we'll be fine. So they're really trying to, to highlight this case to get the U.S. to kind of up the security warnings of Mexico. Yeah. I mean, that's what's crazy to me, too, is that it sounds like that guy had done some research into it. And the fact that he had even signed up for the STEP program for the U.S. Embassy is like, nobody does that. I don't even do that. Like, I should, but I don't. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that he even did that and that he had the threat levels to tell his parents, like... Oh, it's, it's no different than Europe. It says that like he wasn't a dummy. Yeah, you know he was like he was prepared 
Like, that's crazy. It's horrible. Ugh. Super sad. So I actually went on Oklahoma Crime Stoppers website. I went on a few like unsolved murder websites to see if there was any details. There's like nothing else out there. There was a thread on Reddit about this. Uh-huh. It's pretty much unsolved, open case, no new news after these credit card transactions appeared. Mm. Um, I don't know if they even found anyone. Uh, one article said his cousin works for a facial recognition software company and was like going to run the the picture through there to see if it picked up. But there was, there's been no follow-up yeah. information since May of last year after this happened. Oh, that's devastating. At the end of this, his father has said, I obviously, I just want justice. I am a Christian and I forgive the people who did this. It's the hardest thing I've ever had to do, but it brought me peace of mind. So that was worth it. So mm. this is out there. We'll post a picture on our Instagram of the footage of the, the person using his stolen credit card in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have any information, that'd be yeah. crazy if yeah. we solved a crime. <laughs> Yeah, and and we'll definitely update if it ever is solved. But I thought this was, like, really sad because it happened so quickly. Like you said, he wasn't naive. He knew what he was getting himself into. He was very aware of precautions and things to do, like like you said, for signing up for the STEP program. Yeah. And it's unfortunate. And, like, what a sense of hope his parents must have had to see something on the credit card transactions. It's like, whoa, we may have a clue. Just like uh, Desiree Gibbon with the phone calls from her phone to her her aunt and then the uh, trying to take money out of her bank account to her phone. Like, it's, oh, that must be gut-wrenching. But, like, it must be, like, exciting to maybe have some kind of new thread to pull at, you know, but devastating when you realize it's just, you know, another thing and it's just going to keep going on and the longer it goes unsolved especially in countries like you know mexico jamaica uh tourism hotspots the longer it goes not being solved the less likely it will ever be solved mm-hmm. and always the less likely it'll be solved when it's in a country that's not your own anyway just because it's not you know you you're uh just like the desert given story the fbi couldn't get involved unless the jamaican government ask them to get involved right yeah which governments are not super excited about getting other countries agencies involved Involved, yeah yeah so terrible never leave the group i know but like in the moment you never think it's that bad you know yeah especially if you're just like i can imagine you know beautiful beaches you're drunk you've been eating good food and then you're just super relaxed and you're like i'm ready to go back to the hotel see you later guys i know Uh uh-uh I'm always sketchy about taxis now because I was in a taxi once in Tel Aviv and me and this other girl were together. We'd been out in the clubs drinking and partying and stuff. And then we get in this taxi. Everything seems normal. It's like a state taxi, you know, not a little, you know, scary, illegal thing. And then we got to where we were going and we were like not quite at the entrance of it. Like he stopped kind of down the road from it. Mm -hmm. And then he told us a different price from what he had told us before. And I said, no. (laughs) like that's not what you said that's so sketchy yeah and like i think i threatened to call the police or something and then uh shouted at the other girl to just get out of the out of the taxi so it scared me because they can even seem like totally legit you know state operated taxis and sometimes people just can't help but want to take advantage of you as a tourist Mm -hmm. and like uber and lyft not much different these days so many scams coming out of those too so well yeah i mean just last year that one girl I guess it wasn't an Uber. She thought she was getting into an Uber, her Uber. Mm. She got into some car and the guy killed her. Oh, but even Ubers in lists that are 
real. Apparently, there's been so many uh, assaults that have happened. I actually had to report someone, that, an Uber driver Ooh. of mine in the last year. What for? Is he creepy? So he picked me up from the airport. It was like fine. And it was like the airport was packed, felt totally normal. And I was like super tired. And I was like, I just can't wait to like put in my air, my earbuds for like 20 minutes and just like sit and quiet on this drive home. Mm -hmm. And he starts talking to me and he like asked me what I was doing on my trip, which is like somewhat normal. And I told him. And then he just like made some comment about how young and teenage I looked, but yet how pretty I was. And I was like, oh. And then he asked to like stop and I was just didn't think anything of it. And I was like, he said he had to get gas. And I was like, yeah, sure. And we stop at a gas station and he doesn't pull up to the pumps. Mm-mm. He just parks and goes in. And I was like, oh, he's alerting someone. This is when I get followed. Yeah. This is this is how I die. Ugh. It was weird. I mean, yeah, maybe you should have just gotten out of the car at the gas station. <laughs> I probably should have. Yeah. Ugh. But I, I rode home. I did ride home with him. I sent my location, you know, on Uber. You can share your location with people. I did that for two people. Mm-hmm. I like texted someone the whole entire time. Yeah. Um. I have hue lights in my house, so yeah. before I even arrived at the house, I was able to turn all the lights on, so it looked like someone was home. Yeah. Which made me feel like super safe. Like, oh yeah, bye guy. Whole family's inside. Yeah. Don't fucking try to jump out and touch me. Oh God. Um. When I. Well, one last story. When I was living in American Samoa, I flew to Independent Samoa, and uh, which is like a 30-minute flight away, but a totally different world completely. And uh, the taxi driver picked me up from the airport. He was like, oh, where do you want to go? And I said, I want to go to like this you know, souvenir market there. He drove me to the market, and then he was like, oh, I'll walk around with you. And I was like, okay, that's chill. I don't know anybody here. You're a big guy. <laughs> like, you know, you can show me around, whatever. And so he walked around the whole market with me, and then he was like, oh, hey, we're in the car. Now he's driving me to the hotel I was going to, and he's like, oh, hey, what if we just stop and get some beers and go to the beach? And I was like, no, I don't think so. And he was like, yeah, no. Yeah, he was like, oh, no, it'd be really cool, though. I want to show you, like, a really cool spot. And I was like, no, thank you. (laughs) I'm like, no. The last thing I want to do ever, the last thing I ever want to do is go to a secluded, secret fucking beach with anyone. Like, no. Oh, my God. Yeah, no thanks. That's awful. Take me to my hotel. Yeah. It wasn't hire a friend moment. It was hire a taxi. It was crazy. And you know what? I, I told him, I said, oh, you know, actually, I'm meeting my friend at that hotel. We were going to have a couple drinks. And then, I, you know, I don't know what after that. And he was like, oh, okay, I'll drop you off at your hotel. And then uh, I'll give you my number. And then you call me when you're ready to go do something. And I was like, yeah, okay, cool. Got to the hotel. I totally was not even meeting a friend there at all. I had a couple drinks by the pool, chilling. And then uh, I called a different taxi to come and take me to the airport. Don't you know, that taxi driver showed up at the airport and got the airport police to come and get me. What? To bring me to him. No. Yeah. Uh, no. And, uh, How you never told yeah. me the story? Oh, my God. Because I have way too many stories, baby. <laughs> but, yeah, no. He, like, so the airport... I'm sitting in this little South Pacific tiny airport waiting to get on my plane. And then, like, the airport security guards come up and they're like, oh, um, there's a taxi driver who needs to talk to you. And I was like, my first thought was, oh, shit, did I leave something in the taxi? You know, like the normal taxi that took me to the airport. 
But so then I, I follow with them and I see that guy and I was like, oh no. And he did was you like, just turn, did you just turn around and go back in the airport? No. Cause like, it was weird, a weird situation where these two airport guys are like walking with me. And I was like, okay. So then I get up to him and he's like, oh, you never called me. You know, like what happened? And I was like, oh yeah, you know, I actually lost your number. <laughs> and I was like, but my, my plane is like, uh, about to start boarding. So like, I really got to go. I was like, sorry, we didn't get to hang out. And he's like, oh, you know, your plane doesn't board for another, you know, however long, whatever. And I was like, uh, cause obviously small airport, everybody on the island knows when these flights are going. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Stupid me. And, um, so I don't know what, but I, I finally was like, well, you know, my friends waiting on me, whatever, like I gotta go. And it was like, I had to go back through there. Cause I was on my way to New Zealand. I had to go back through that same airport and i was like he's gonna be like waiting at the gate for you yeah like i I did not leave the airport i was like nope he's like my cousin works in baggage and saw your name on the list here i yeah, am it was so creepy it was so incredibly that creepy scary. it was awful Ugh. it was a really bad like i was i was there for less than 24 hours but it was like the waiter at the hotel where i was chilling at the pool like he was trying to get me to go to some parties with his friends and then the taxi driver. And I was just like, by the time I got to New Zealand, I was like, okay, I like if anybody hits on me, I'm going to... Don't lose my mind. And like, luckily... In New Zealand, nobody talks to you if they don't know you. So yeah, so kind of like when you when we were in Japan, nobody, no one talks to, to you. <laughs> but sometimes that's a really good reprieve. You know, you're like, I don't want anyone to talk to me right now. Ugh. Anyway, send us some stories about your vacations to places where maybe you didn't feel safe, uh, especially if they were like at resorts, major tourist attractions. If something was just a little bit off and you want to tell us about it, we would love to hear about it. And if some weird uh, creepers were taking you around in an Uber or a Lyft. Tell us about that too. Yeah, in your country or in a different country. Definitely tell us about that because those stories got to get out there. You can send those emails to earlydepartures at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at earlydepartures And we will read you some more stories next week, probably still from our bunkers. Yeah. I expect to be here for much longer still. We will probably be about 10% more insane next week. So come back for that. And until then, be safe and depart on time. <laughs>